now. I want to start off tonight sharing with you a passage that you know very well. It's been preached. It's been taught. And yet there's still so many approaches to it. It's Philippians 3, 13 and 14 in one of the translations. Paul says, I leave behind the past. And with arms outstretched to whatever lies ahead, I press on to the goal. There's so many ways to look at this passage. There's so many ways that it can touch our lives. It can make great difference in the outcome of our views in life and our destiny. By now you've probably figured out that I'm a little bit of a sports fan. Now, not as much by, thank goodness I've been delivered from the past, but uh, I'm still a little fanatic. And you know, most men are. A little bit. They, they like sports. And, uh, there's women that like sports. And, uh, if you live around here, you're probably a sports fanatic. Because it fills the papers, it's on the, it's on constantly. You can't read anything or hear anything. I mean, you've got to be updated on a regular basis on Texas Tech sports and other sports. And most of us have memories of a sporting event, something that may have happened in our life or happened in our childhood, happened in high school, college, or you know, it's just a memory. Because there's so many events that go on. If not something that affected us, we've got grandchildren. We remember those memories. And, uh, we have, uh, and we have children. I mean, and then who around here could possibly forget that kick by Garaby 62 yards to beat Iowa State? I mean, who kicks the ball 62 yards? <laughs> so, who kicks the ball 62 yards in college, in the NFL? It doesn't happen on the last play of the game with all of that nervousness and tension uh, that is going on. I mean, just as time is running out. So, so, there's numerous sporting events and we all have certain memories that, you know, we'll remember forever. Uh, I want to tell you a story tonight because I like stories. Stories that tie to Scripture that we can remember that make a difference in our life. That's one I want to tell you tonight. It's, I have a distinct memory of the 1991 Super Bowl. Now, what was such a distinct memory about that? Just have one. Just one detail in that entire game. I mean, it wasn't very exciting. It wasn't certainly a game I'd tune in again. It's not one, you know, that I'd watch on a rerun some night. It was a game between the Bills 
and the giants. The Bills had not won a national championship since 1965. Perhaps that night in Tampa Bay, the tables would turn in their favor. It had been a defensive struggle all throughout the game. Not very much had happened. So, the Bills had advanced the ball down to the Giants' 29-yard line. There's only time for one more play. They call upon their Pro Bowl kicker, Scott Norwood. Everything depended upon him to kick a field goal from 29 yards. Why, he'd made 32 from that distance or greater already throughout the year. He'd made five from this distance. Perhaps this would be the night he would make number six. That everyone was depending upon it. So, as the clock ran down, what happened? He's standing on the sidelines. He's getting focused. He, he, he's getting, you know, dialed in to make the kick. He checks, you know, the wind and every, all the things that kickers go through. Gets his mind ready. The ball is snapped. It's placed. It's kicked. His head is down three-fourths of the way on its way to the goal. When he looks up and realizes he has missed the kick. And all of Buffalo groaned. Another failed Super Bowl. Another failure. Scott Norwood hung his head. The one thing that stands out is what the daily uh, newspapers would say. Wide and to the right. The kick that will forever haunt Scott Norwood. He had to live with it. You know, no do-overs. No mulligans. No second chances. Couldn't rewind the tape. Wasn't going to get another chance. Millions had sat on the edge of their seats. Worldwide. 100,000 in the stands. But it wouldn't change anything. How many times have we been there? I can tell you this. There's been times when I love to play. Uh, I played a lot of golf. I played in lots of tournaments. Sometimes it was a partnership. Sometimes a foursome. Sometimes it was just a single man championship. But there are times when I had that experience. You'd miss the putt. You'd hit a ball in the water. You'd knock it out of bounds. And you wondered what happened. And if you were playing with a team, you knew you let the team down. You knew, why you're not going to be around for any trophy presentation. And you felt embarrassment that you didn't know how to live with. And you see, yours may not have been maybe a golf game or something like that. But, you know, maybe you flunked the course in school. Maybe you dropped out of school. Maybe your marriage went south. Who knows? Maybe your business went broke. It could have been 
you failed at something. And, you know, you begin hearing those voices that tell you how much of a failure that, that you are. And they're laughing at you. And you begin to believe it. And you joined them. And you disqualified yourself. You berated yourself. You beat up on yourself. And, you know, you hammered yourself. And you sentenced yourself to, um, to, uh, to Leavenworth. To a lifetime in Leavenworth of a poor self-worth. We've all been there. And that may not have been the case necessarily with you, but, you know, everyone in this room has children. you got grandchildren. How many times has their end came as a result of poor judgment, making a poor decision, perhaps not just that, but uh, they got with the wrong crowd. Uh, maybe they took the dare. Maybe their friends influenced them. Maybe they just didn't weigh the cost. So, they ended up humiliated and defeated by a decision that they made that definitely led to their detriment. You see, failure finds all of us sooner or later. Failure is universal. I mean, I've often wondered why all these self-help gurus, you know, they go around, hold these seminars. You see them all the time. Why do they never address failure? Have you ever heard of one that addresses failure? I mean, during the summer, I went over to Barnes & Noble bookstore over there at the mall. I was looking for a particular book. And so, I, I, I went to that section on self-help books. I mean, there were books everywhere by these self-help gurus on success. And a clerk came by and I asked her, I said, where's the section on how to succeed at failure? And she looked at me like a dog at a new pan. <laughs> success at failure? She didn't have a clue what I was talking about. And she didn't know what to say. And maybe no one knows what to say. But God does. You know, God has written a book just for failures. And it's for folks like me and folks like you and those who are struggling with life. Those who, well, there were times in my life I was overconfident. Boy, you can trust that. Made poor choices. Had faulty judgment. Ripe for failure. But we got a second chance, didn't we? You know, I, when I look at the Bible, to me the greatest moral failure was King David. There was no greater moral failure than him. But later on in his life, what does the Bible say? God said he was a man after God's own heart. You know, and, and then there was Peter. Um Yeah, um, find my place here again. I want to get to someone else first, though, because that's what my note says. And 
There was Elijah. What about that great victory out there on Mount Carmel? I mean, to defeat all of uh, uh, all of uh, Jezebel's uh, Baal uh, prophets, priests, yeah, every one of them killed them. But then later that night, a few days later, he finds out Jezebel's after him. Uh, the story changes, doesn't it? He becomes an emotional train wreck. And, uh, but heaven used him to bring a great outpouring of God's grace. And then Jonah, out there in the belly of a fish, out in the middle of the ocean somewhere. Well, he decided to pray. Probably prayed the most sincere prayer of his life. But it was effective. It brought a revival to the wicked city of Nineveh. Perfect people, not away. No, they were not perfect. Perfect messes. And people left feeling like a pariah, feeling like an outcast. And yet God used them. You know, a surprising and a welcome discovery in the Bible is that God could see the collapse coming long before we could. And still He tells us exactly what He told Joshua. He said to Joshua, Arise and go, you and all this people, to the land that I am giving you. It's right there in Joshua 1 and verse 2. Now, think of that little simple phrase. Arise and go, you and all this people, to the land I'm giving you. There's no condition in that covenant. There's no fine print. You know, there's nothing there that is, is difficult to understand. There's no performance language. God's promised land offer did not depend upon perfection. It depended upon God's. See, in God's hand, no defeat is a crushing defeat. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And He delights in each step that they take. And if they fail, God says, it's not fatal. The Lord will hold them up with His hand. Psalms 37, 23, and 24. So, it's important that we understand this. And if we miss this truth, we're going to miss our new beginning. We must believe that God's grace is greater than our failure. We can stake our future on the promises. I mean, promises like, there's no, therefore now, no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh, they walk after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life has made me free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, 1 to 4. You see, everyone stumbles. The difference is in the response that they make. Some stumble into a pit of guilt. Others tumble into the arms of grace. Those who find grace, they do so because they're walking according to the Spirit. They hear God's voice and they make a deliberate decision to stand up and to lean into God's grace. I want to share with you one of the most assuring and comforting passages you could ever read. I share this with you. It's Jude 24. I have never heard a lesson taught on it. I've never heard it preached. 
And yet, it is so clear. He is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. When we stumble, God's not up there pouting and throwing a fit and wondering what we are up to. He's not saying, oh, not you again. He is able. That means He's willing. And He's readily available. He's able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. I love that promise. Check it out sometime. Now, here's what God told Joshua. He said, Joshua, do not be afraid and nor be dismayed. Don't get distracted. Don't have fear. Trust me. Joshua 8 and verse 1. Is that not what the prodigal son did? Was that not his resolve? He said, I will arise and go to my father. Luke 15 and verse 18. You know the story. And just like us, he was given an inheritance. He was a member of the family. And perhaps, just like maybe some of us have done, he squandered his inheritance with extravagant living. And it may have been through poor choices. It may have been through an overextended credit line. Who knows? But in his case, he lost every penny. Maybe there's, we've all been there maybe a time or in our own life. His trail ended dead end in a pig pen. He's feeding hogs for a living. There is nothing that was more degrading or humiliating than for a young Jewish man to find himself, his vocation, in a pig pen. Feeding hogs that wouldn't even eat them. But one day, that slop he was feeding the hogs, well, it smelled so good to him, and he was so hungry that that slop began to smell like a charcoal broil bone-in ribeye. He leans over the trough. I mean, you can just see him. He takes a deep breath. He drools. He ties a napkin around his neck, pulls a little fork out of his pocket, sprinkles some salt on his pig slop casserole. He's ready to go to work. He's just about ready to dig in when something, the light finally comes on. Wait a minute. What am I doing here? Wallowing in the mud with these pigs and feeding them. And then he made a decision. And the decision that he made was a life-changing decision. That stayed with him all of his life, forever. What was that decision? I will arise and go 
to my Father. Nothing changes until we make a decision that's in our favor. You know, landing in a pig pen, you know, that's that's got to stink. But staying there, how senseless is that? So, if we find ourselves there, our children, our grandchildren, it's time to rise up and step out. Fresh starts require a determined first step. And even the Apostle Paul had to do that. He's the one who wrote Philippians 3, 13 and 14. I put the past behind. What past is he putting behind? Well, I've murdered people. I went and bound up men and women, bound, put them in prison. I went down there in the prison cells, threatened them within an inch of their life until they blasphemed the name of Jesus Christ. But I have to forget the things that are behind. And with arms outstretched, I reach now for the goal. See, there's no future in the past. Something I taught my children, something I taught my employees. Because we always have situations, if you're an employer, of your employees at time to time, they'll share with you their burdens and their problems. I taught them the past is a canceled check. Tomorrow is a promissory note. All you have is today. So, we have to put God's plan in place today. So, what did God tell Joshua? He said, I want you to go back and revisit the place of your failure. He told him to arise and go back up to Ai. Joshua, I want you to see that I have given into your hand the king of Ai. I've given you his city. I've given you his place. I've given you his people. What was God saying? Joshua, I want you to do it again. This time, how about let's do it my way? That's the best counsel you will ever receive in life. I can't think of any greater wisdom than for God to say and us to obey, why not do it my way this time? Well, Joshua didn't need to be told twice. Nope. This thing keeps turning around on me. Okay. Because it's me. Uh, so, he and his men, they make this early morning march. And it's early morning because they're going from Gilgal up to Ai. That's a distance of about 15 miles. So, they're leaving right after midnight in the middle of the night. And they're marching up to that city so that they'll be well prepared before the sun comes up. So, what does he do? He positions this crack SEAL team of commandos behind the city. He reinforces them with 5,000 military men to back them up. Then he goes and joins up with another group uh, on the other side of the city. And now they are ready. So the plan was straight out of basic military tactics. 
Joshua would attack and then he would retreat. He would draw them out of the city and away from their village. Guess what? It worked. The king of Ai, you know, he's still strutting from victory number one. And he sets out for victory number two. Oh, you here again? You want some more me? Alright. So he marches with his men towards Joshua. He leaves the town unprotected. The commandos move in. They set the city on fire. It's a burning inferno. Now Ai and his men, they've been drawn out. Joshua reverses course. They're caught in the trap in the middle. Boom! Victory. Just like God said. Now, contrast that with the first time he went up there. First time, Joshua consulted some spies. Well, I don't know who the spies were, but they were probably his friends. You know, they met down at the Dairy Queen. You know, they met over at Tech Cafe. They talked about it. Worked up the plan, whatever it is that they wanted. And, um, but in the second time, he listens, he listens to God. In the first, Joshua stays home. In the second, he's leading the military men out there. It's an organized military. The first attack, well, it didn't involve any tactics. The second was a, a strategic military plan carried out with precision. The point? God told Joshua, why don't you get a new plan? And this time, do it my way. And when he followed God's strategy, what happened? Victory. Now we can get down to Peter. Alright, I didn't forget about him. He saw the wonder of God's second chance. So, one day Jesus is preaching. But uh, there's so, so many people on the beach he he needs to get away from that group. He needs a platform. He needs a buffer between all the people and him. So he preaches from Peter's boat. And he preaches. He offers the invitation. He closes his lesson. It's time to go home. And then he turns to Peter and he says, Let's go fishing. What? Let's go fishing? He had no interest in fishing. I mean, he was tired. He's already weary. He said he'd fished all night and hadn't caught anything. He was already discouraged. And he was even dubious. You know, Jesus asking him to go fishing. What did Jesus know about fishing? He probably never had a fishing pole in his hand. And then there was all the people on the beach. And nobody wants to be shown up in public. But Jesus insisted. And Peter finally relented. And how did he relent? At your word, I'll let down the nets. Luke 5 and verse 5. This was the moment of truth for Peter. He was saying, I believe I'll begin and this time do it your way. And when he did... What was the result? The catch of fish was so great, nearly sunk the boat. Sometimes we just need to begin again and get Jesus in the boat. So we don't have to spend another moment in the pig bin.
It's time to rise up and take authority. It's time to step out. I cannot tell you how many times in my own life, I know it's hard for you to believe, but if you knew the times when I have been afraid, I have been so fearful. I mean, I would turn white as a ghost. I would be fearful and anxious, consumed with doubt, only to learn God hasn't forgotten you. So, we never know what good awaits us. Now, let me get back to the opening story. Why did I tell you that about Scott Norwood in the Super Bowl of 1991? Insignificant event. Well, he did. But Scott Norwood, he walked off the field with his head hung down. I mean, for a couple of days, he was one miserable man. He was depressed beyond words. He could never get over the thought, I missed the kick. I let my teammates down. I let the city down. I let, let everybody down. And he was haunted by the miss. He was plagued with guilt. He was filled with embarrassment to his teammates. He could not let go of the headlines wide and to the right. The kick that will forever haunt Scott Norwood. So that determined his self-worth. So he was still upset a couple of days later when the team returns to Buffalo. But in spite of the loss, the city of Buffalo, they hosted a big event <coughs> to celebrate the team. 25, 30,000 people in Buffalo showed up. Yeah. Norwood attended. He took his place, you know, with the rest of the players on the platform. But he tries to linger in the background. He's hiding back there, you know, with, behind all the other players. But the fans had something else in mind. In the middle of the civic leader's speech, a chant broke out. We want Scott! We want Scott! We want Scott! And the chant grew louder. We want Scott! Scott remained back behind all of the other players, hiding from sight as best he could. He didn't know why the crowd wanted him. But the chant, it grew louder and louder until the speaker finally had to stop. <clears throat> finally, Norwood's teammates pushed him up to the front of the platform in front of the stage. And when the fans saw Scott, they gave him a rousing ovation. He missed the kick. But they made sure he was still liked by the city. He was still on the team. And hopefully, he could look forward to kicking a field goal in the following year's Super Bowl. Why did I tell you this story tonight? Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. The Bible says that we are surrounded by a great 
cloud of witnesses. Do you realize thousands upon thousands are in the heavenly court and they're looking down on us? Who are they? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, Elijah, the uh, uh, prophets, the twelve apostles, the hundred and twenty in the upper room, the uh, New Testament martyrs, your grandma, your aunt, your uncle, your best friend. They're up there. And they're chanting your name. They're pulling for you. They see what is going on. For me, it was a high school track coach when I was in high school. A little later in life, it was an elder in my home church. When I messed things up at middle age, it was an adorable sister. Press your ear against the curtain of eternity and listen. Can't you hear them? They're chanting your name. They're pulling for you. Not to give up. Not to quit. It's worth it. Begin again. This time, do it God's way. Get Christ in the boat with you. The Scott Norwood story. Don't ever give up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, tonight, You know just how frustrated that we can get sometimes with ourselves. At times, we feel like a failure. We, we, we know our struggles, and, and yet we can't seem to find a way to fix them. We don't know how to make them better. So Lord, I'm going to pray tonight. I'm going to pray for every person in this home group, our life group tonight. I'm going to ask you, Lord, to please redeem whatever has been lost because of failure. I, on their behalf, will confess that we will no longer go in our own strength. We call upon Your Holy Spirit to transform us, to change us. We need the courage, whatever it takes, to just get beyond whatever it is in the past. Your Word tells us to throw off everything that hinders us. So help us to overcome everything that entangles us, to somehow untangle the knots in our life, in the lives of our children and in our grandchildren. Thank You that Your Word says we are more than conquerors through Him who loves us. And because of You, just like Joshua, we can find the victory. The victory is already ours. This time, we'll do it Your way. In Jesus' name, Amen.
Okay. Got something on uh, to work on for next year. 